Hi, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by CraneShares. Learn about their KCCA ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KCCA forward slash Real Vision. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is it time to throw in the recession towel? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Just in time with me is Tony Greer, editor of the Morning Navigator newsletter. Hi, Tony. You had some company, so you had to go clear the decks, huh? Yeah. Yeah. My dog wanted to be involved. Beckham wanted to be involved with the Real Vision Daily Briefing today, but he we just sorted did. that out. Thank you. <laughs> How are you doing today, Maggie? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So our question that we started with is a riff on your tweet from earlier today. So what do you think? Is it time to give up those recession calls after that hotter than expected retail sales reading? It certainly seemed to take people by surprise. Yeah, well, it took the bond market a bit by surprise. I think you can tell by the reaction. Um, but let's talk about the economic side first. We got hotter CPI, hotter PPI than expected last week. Today, we got better retail sales, better ex-autos, better ex-autos and gas, better than expected industrial production, better than expected capacity utilization at almost 80%. I mean, the recession bros are getting hit with so many rights, they're begging for a left at this point, right? So they're going to have to adjust that idea because there's just not manifestation on the tape. And then we have the bond market come and tell us that the sell-off isn't just over just yet, right? Um, we have a two sigma spill in 10 year futures, 10 year yield spike from 458 on the close two sessions ago to a peak of almost five and a quarter today, Oof. right? Which is right, right? Which is a reversal of that flight to safety that we saw at the beginning of the Middle Eastern conflict. Um, we actually saw an outside reversal in yields higher. Um, and that's the move that's still going. So what happened today was even more interesting. We've got the rates flying, but we've got the dollar trading back off because that's also a reversal of the flight to safety trade. Mm. With the dollar trading off, we had some Aussie strength, Aussie yen strength, great tailwind for the commodity sector. All the natural resources sectors perk up today. On the top of the leaderboard, we've got metals and mining, oil services, uranium, solar, gold miners. All the crapola from you know that's on down on the year essentially aside from um, oil services I suppose cannabis up five percent beautiful bounce off of moving averages and the downside is all the rate sensitive stuff big tech is on the downside um, you know we had the semiconductors trading off a percent with the new export rule headline a two and a half sigma four percent sell off in Nvidia. So, you know it was an interesting rotation day natural resources on top on top rate sensitive tech you know, selling off and, you know, the S&P is kind of dealing with it just fine, you know, settling right around 4,400 again um, with largely negative sentiment and the fear and greed index leaning in the fear sector around 34, 35 still. So there's a lot of reasons to, um, you know, kind of take the trades that you're given. You know, you can, you can remain bullish on the S&P if you ask me. I don't think we're in danger of a breakdown. And the recession idea, in my opinion, is out the window, Maggie. Yeah. So that's really interesting, Tony, because I think some people were looking at those yields and it's it's been staggering. We've, we've seen this over and over, right? Everyone gets ahead thinking that that turn's coming and then they get blown out and yields move higher again. These are big moves in a short amount of time for bonds. Everything is rate of change in the markets, right? So that's why you're finally seeing, you know, the sector that's become religion, AI, NVIDIA, you know, finally succumb to a sell-off today. 
What did it take? It took a two sigma spill in the 10 year futures, right? It took a real move higher in yields, but they are still rate sensitive. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the yield um, move trajectory pans out, right? If it stays this steep and we see another lurch higher, you know, you can probably expect a steeper rotation like we've seen today. And, you know, if they manage to sort of consolidate and not make a new high in yield. So, you know, kind of maybe giving us an indication that this is a good level to buy bonds for a little bit of a trade. That'll be really interesting because that's still, you know, uh, something that could happen. We could kind of have a double bottom here in bonds and kind of a double top in rates and then move lower in yields and higher in bonds. So it, it's been yet to be determined. And I'm literally on the edge of my seat waiting to see how it pans out. Some people were looking at that big move uh, up in yields, and you know sometimes when you see that, you see the stock market sell off. You saw that, but then you, then you've had this sort of uh, you know mixed close. It did come back a little bit. I guess it's because of that rotation that you're talking about. Because although tech got hit, you saw people moving into other areas. And when you're talking about cannabis, I mean, talk about some beat up names that we haven't even bothered to discuss here because they were so dead in the water. In fact, yeah. you know that's a sentiment. We haven't even been asked about cannabis in the in the questions or the chats in a long time because everybody seems to have given up on that. People have headline exhaustion in cannabis, right? We're waiting for safe banking, where they're listening to the saga going on in the Senate and the stories that go back and forth. And it's it's at this point not worth listening to until safe banking is actually passed and they have access to capital and then there'll be mutual funds trading in the names and it'll be a whole different animal. But until then, we can trip over our beard waiting for that to happen, as we know. So we focus on what's strong today, you know, metals and mining, uranium, gold miners, retail, a big bounce back with the retail sales number after everybody just got washed out of retail mm -hmm. in the last several weeks. So that's an interesting trade that's kind of lined up for me. Um, large sigma, you know, large magnitude move lower, uh, move higher in stocks like Whirlpool, Bank of America. So there was some, you know, there was some good and bad on the street today. It was a little back and forth. The S and P is still really comfortably within this kind of 4350, 4500 range. Um, but you know, it's a lot. I think the S and P is a little bit more resilient than people want to give it credit for. Is is my opinion. I think a little bit of that has to do with the fact that we're not spilling into a recession. Uh, we just have this inflation issue right now. So yeah. we're going to see how the bond market takes us forward. Yeah, I mean the bond market has been driving. So Paul asking an interesting question. Uh, sorry, not Paul. I'll get to yours in a minute, Paul. Uh, AJ asking a question. Do you think the strong economy means a sell-off in equities? It would appear not necessarily based on what we saw today, but. I, the way that I think about that is the way economic data relates to rates, relates to the stock market, that kind of triad there. If yields are, are kind of forcibly rising now because inflation is really, really sticky and isn't going away and starting to kind of chooch higher, yields are going higher. If the economic data remains firm, the stock market can bear it, right? If yields are ticking higher and data is going into the shitter, and I know that we've got a lot of crazy debt and, and credit limit data out there that's definitely catching my eye, but in terms of the economic data, in terms of sort of manufacturing and gasoline demand and things like that, mm -hmm. there's no slowdown to be had. I was just in Las Vegas and I couldn't have gotten a breakfast table at a, at a black to play blackjack at Planet Hollywood 
at 10 o'clock in the morning if I wanted to. Like, that's how crowded, like, the world is. So I'm just saying, like, not the entire world thinks that we're heading into recession. There's bull markets and economic booms everywhere. Yeah. So that that's how I look at that. That's really important, that if rates are going to go higher, it needs strong economic data for the stock market to bear it. And I think that's a fair way to looking at it that will keep you out of trouble for the most part. Yeah. How was how was the concert at the Sphere? You went to see you too, right? It's next level, Maggie. It's next level for rock and roll fans. I mean, that it's it's clear from the moment that you walk into the place that you're in a, a venue that was built specifically for concert production. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't feel in any way like you're in a sports arena or anything like that. It feels more like walking into a planetarium and the yep. effects are as spectacular in person. Oh, cool. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, I know a lot of people are making the trek out. It's going to be really interesting. to it, it, Presumably, we're going to see more of them pop up. Um, yeah. Everyone's putting it on their bucket list as as word goes yeah. around. And, and now that a trip to Vegas comes with a potential NHL hockey game, an NFL football game, a formula race, if you time it right, I mean, the place is booming like I've never seen it before. It's really exhilarating. And I love that town more than anything. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I wonder wonder if some uh, you know urban developers who are looking at some cities that are hurting right now are going to think about roping some of that in because it's all about experience. And if you can bring people with that kind of Mayor Adams, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, one is going, one is being built in New York. I think that's in the plans of Sphere. You know, Sphere Entertainment is a publicly traded stock. There you go. Yeah, you can get all that information. And there is there. I know there are plans for one in the New York area. And there's a third one that is being built. I don't think that they announced the location yet. And I could be wrong on that. Very cool. We'll have to we'll have to dig in on that. We'll see if we can get them on. Um, OK, we digress. Uh, earnings. But you're bringing up the strength of the, the economy um, and, you know, stocks can bear it. We are in we are at the start of earnings season. And so far, it seems like some of the reports coming out are exceeding expectations. I haven't been following that closely, Matt. Yeah, I've been really kind of stuck in um, a little bit of the macro story, especially what's going on in the Middle East. And I'm spending an, an inordinate amount wow. of time giving myself um, headline fatigue from that when I should probably be putting a little bit more of a noise cancellation policy on it because the bond market told us that it doesn't really bothered by this event over there. So I, I want to make sure that I'm focusing on the things that the market's focusing on. And I've kind of been a little bit wrong footed. And maybe that's why I've missed a lot of the earnings headlines. Yeah. But the tape seems to be reacting. I know Bank of America and Goldman just reported. Yeah, Bank the early, early financials out looking pretty good. No, well, no blow ups. Let's put it that way. No, like, yeah. ex except um, Jamie Dimon somewhere uh, saying that this is maybe the most dangerous time that any of us have been in. So it, that the fact that you have headline fatigue, I think you speak for all of us um, when everyone's trying to keep a handle on what's going on and, and so difficult. And you're right, the markets for now, for now are um, sort of putting it off to the side, but I think everyone's got a, a worried eye on that. Um, by the way, we are going to, as, as I've been um, giving you guys a heads up on, we are going to be releasing Rao caught up with D Smith for a really long, interesting conversation. And I am talking to Peter Zahan tomorrow at 11 o'clock Eastern, I believe live. Oh. Um, yeah. So that should be interesting. Um, so roll up if you can with your questions, otherwise, otherwise send them to me, DM me on the platform. Uh, and I will try to look over them and put them to him ahead of time. Um, cause there's an awful lot to discuss on that front. So I wanted to circle back. You were talking about some of the, the other issue for the bond market. And it's so important right now because bonds are really leading a lot of what happens 
um, you know, across the other assets. And we're talking about the economy. We're talking about earnings, which are super important. But as you mentioned, everyone also trying to figure in this supply issue. Um, and we've seen at times the bond market kind of decoupling from what's going on in the economy and really struggling to digest all this issuance that's coming and a pipeline of it, uh, you know, that just stretches so who knows when with so much debt that has to be underwritten. Um, Andres talked about this in his latest Steno Signals update that just dropped on our platform, um, at digging into sort of that issue of supply. Let's have a listen and we'll talk on the other side. If you look at the marketable treasury issues uh, for the fourth quarter using the so-called CPAC Q4 recommendations, uh, we'll move to basically uncharted territory for um the uh, issuance of U.S. Treasuries. Um, I know it's relatively old news. We already got the confirmation of that uh, after the summer. Uh, but still, it seems like the market rates will continue to react to this story. Um, since right now, we, we struggle uh, to find buyers for bonds simply. Uh, there is a reason why all banks try to say to, to clients, buy bonds, buy bonds, buy bonds. It's because they want someone to buy them. Um, and Right now, I um, I struggle to see who are the net buyers outside of U.S. households. Um, maybe a few hedge funds uh, included in that number, uh, but it simply means that households currently carry the back in um, in in the fixed income space, uh, and um, it's basically sad to watch, uh, in my opinion. So um, I, I I basically consider the current ongoing events um, as triggers for renewed turbulence in fixed income space. I'm not sure that we've seen the highs yet in long bond yields in the U.S., given that we simply lack the bias uh, outside of U.S. households. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Andres also talks about what his thoughts on the timing of this recession, if we're going to get it, when we're going to get it, and his outlook for energy. As you know, he's been super focused on that again as we head into winter in Europe. You can see that full episode on our website. If you are not a member, go to realvision.com and sign up. You can just look in our chats for some of the links and trial deals that we have for you. Uh, so, Tony, you know, how are you thinking about this massive amount of supply that needs to be digested. Is it going to continue to put upward pressure on treasury yields? Yeah, I believe so. I love the way Andreas framed it, you know, as, as a definite, you know, kind of bidless scenario for the bond market. In fact, we know the data has shown that we're seeing huge foreign selling of bond market um, of, of U.S. Treasury bonds. Um, you know, we're talking about it really, really calmly, but this is the biggest bear market in bond market history. Right. We saw bonds off, you know, broadly speaking, 7% in 2021, right after the Fed doubled their balance sheet. Shocker. Who would have guessed that? Right. We saw them off another 22% two years after the Fed balance sheet was doubled. Shocker. Who would have ever thought that? And we see them down 10% this year for the third consecutive negative, uh, you know, three years negative in a row. And I don't think that's even ever happened. Or if it happened, I don't think the magnitude has been this bad. And boy, what a shocker that something like that would happen after the Fed doubled their balance sheet in one print, you know, and that's something that just never gets tied together. That's kind of frustrating for us, you know, smaller market guys and independent analysts when, you know, like that, that's a, a post-it that I've had on my board for three years now. Like, don't forget the Fed doubled their balance sheet in one print. And so what that's going to mean is inflation should run rampant and bonds should get slaughtered, right? So we're in the middle of that. Um, where she stops, nobody knows. 
you know, I'm not, I would not stand in the way of this. You know, it's been, you know, we had them, we had bonds for years of, you know, people that have been in the markets for a while, cause it wasn't that long ago, but you remember Maggie, we had rates mm -hmm. pinned in negative territory mm -hmm. overseas pinned at zero here for a long time. What is that? That's holding a beach ball underwater, mm -hmm. right? It's very unnatural. And when the beach ball finally lets up, you don't want to be the one to limit how high the beach ball is going to go if you're a trend follower, right? So if you if talk to guys like me, I get a little bit hysterical about the bond market and, and think terminally about it. I, I could see 10-year yields go to 10%, you know, over time as inflation just persists and has periods of of hyperventilating and getting terrible and then calming down again. You know, I kind of feel like that's the scenario we're in for. So I remain a bond bear under these conditions where it's kind of technically broken with good reason and going lower. So yeah. that's how I kind of look at that broadly speaking and that, you know, kind of the, the nuance on that changes from day to day and how it affects other things. But very much right now, the bond market is in charge and I listen to everything it has to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is the big change, right? We would always especially in the US, we're very equity centric, but this is when bonds and then to a certain extent, uh, you know, currencies, you really have to to understand what's happening there because bonds are in the driver's seat right now and fantastic observations you met, uh, just made there. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, we're going into an election period. So the idea that there would be any restraint or fiscal restraint or try to, you know, efforts to try to work down the deficit seem very unlikely. And we have a Congress that's non-functional right now. I mean, we're still trying to elect a Speaker of the House. I think that political turmoil would be more frightening to people if we didn't have all the headlines of a war impending potential, you know, very, very, a, a war in the Middle East that has the potential to spread or many people worried about that. You might be getting more attention. Not We're hearing about the Speaker, speaker trials and tribulations, but it seems like Washington's been so broken for so long that people aren't paying attention to it. But I mean, we're not operating right now. So all of this not good for a situation where these high deficits are starting to have real market impacts. It does feel like risk, um, in a, you know, the way I interpret what you're saying is to me, it feels like risk is kind of underpriced in a lot of, in a, lot, in a yeah. couple of different areas. You know, I still think the oil market, risk in the oil market is upside risk is dramatically underpriced, even though oil volatility has expanded, you know, to reflect that. Um, in fact, it's about just about doubled now oil volatility from the teens to the high 30s. And now, you know, price is kind of backed off the highs. It's back in motion here with the conflict in the Middle East trading around 87. Um, but it just seems to me like it's one headline away from being 95 bid and running again, you know, given what's going on in the Middle East and how things are, I don't know, I, I could be wrong because I am not a political analyst or a biologist. So I really have no idea what I'm talking about, but this seems a little bit different to me and, and a little bit more, more, I don't know. It seems like the world is a little bit on a more precarious position because, you know, people are saying, yeah, the Middle East has been going on for years, but not with the U.S. in such a weak position that we're in now. Right. We've got a weak leadership position, you know, that's being broadcast around the world. We've got um, strategic petroleum reserve down to, you know, tumbleweeds and, you know, the military has gone, you know, LGBTQ. So it feels like we're extremely vulnerable while the Middle East is, and, and I think other nations are taking the opportunity to express their views, kind of knowing that there's not going to be an aircraft carrier in their backyard that's mm. going to be firing any missiles. And even though we're moving aircraft carriers around the world right now, I am shocked that the bond market is saying, really, I care about the inflation problem. 
Yeah. So. Well, and we have a still a ground war in Europe that yeah. is, you know, like they're, they're, that that's still that's still happening. Exactly. I have no idea how I'm going to squeeze all this in with this conversation with Peter Zayhoff, by the way. Like the list of things to discuss is so long. I'm just going to have your head on right swivel. now. We're not even going to get through it all. But um, let's get to some questions here. Uh, and this one's related to oil. And this is another one. This is barely even making it punching through the noise. Um, but Paul, thank you for bringing this up. What will be the impact of the sanctions being lifted from Venezuela? It's going to be, you know, a kind of attempt at a lower oil price, right? This is another political move by the administration where rather than asking ExxonMobil to pump more, he's going to our enemies and saying, can we possibly enrich you a little bit by having you pump more and pay you money for that, you know, and, and we'll try to have that affect our, you know, election coming up and we'll try to use that to get the gas market lower and whatever they're going to try to do. But I mean, it's patently obvious, you know, it's kind of their, the administration is wearing that on their sleeve. I don't think that they're trying to hide the fact that it is a blatant attempt to stop gas prices from going berserk into the election. You know what I mean? They're just trying to keep pressure off of that hot button item if they can, because they're going to have enough hot button items to deal with as it is. You know, I don't even want to go into them starting with migration, et cetera, et cetera. But there's going to be a lot for that administration to deal with heading into the next, um, the next election, which may be why we're going to war. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> we, we, there there is no shortage of of uh, I don't want to call them conspiracy theories, but I mean, um, we, we, oh, no, we, it's all a, it's all valid speculation. Yeah, okay, point. valid I, speculation. There's no such well, thing as conspiracy. <laughs> all, be, all because we know that there are actual conspiracies going on. So let's throw the theory part out the window <laughs> okay, and go with go. constructive <laughs> speculation. Yeah. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Constructive speculation. Um, by the way, uh, we'll we'll dig in and um, you know on that. Maybe good to talk uh, in terms of actual oil infrastructure and implications with Venezuela, because there's been massive underinvestment in their ability to pump oil because of the dire economic straits that country has been in. So all politics aside, the actual logistics of getting more oil out of there, there have been questions raised about that for years. I can only imagine um, they've gotten worse. I haven't spoken to anybody about it recently, but um, so that's a whole a whole nother thing, Paul, also to take, to take into consideration. There's the lifting of sanctions, and then there's the reality of actually you know, getting that um, underinvestment back up to speed. That's a longer Let, process, I think. Yeah, but let's consider, you know, the market's view on it. The market traded from 86, from 88 to 86 and back to 87 on that headline. So yep. the market, in my opinion, is, you know, in the in process of shrugging at it. Yeah, right. Probably for all of those reasons. Uh, so um, this one is from Follow the Science. Love to hear your opinion on coal today. Tony, massive buybacks. Yeah, I mean, it's a sector that we, you know, is going to, to me, it's kind of a fade, the ESG movement sector. And I just wanted to get a, a BTU chart up here in front of me. You know, when I look at coal, I see that it's had a massive pullback over the summer. Um, you know, with the energy pullback, it's getting back on its feet here. In my opinion, like a stock like that has gone blue sky trading, where it is a name that's in an uptrend that dips within that trend to the moving averages, maybe trades through them and then trades back up above all the moving averages and resumes the trend. 
that's what it looks like is going on to me in the coal markets. I think it kind of rhymes with what's going on in the oil and uranium markets, like, you know, the alternative energy to the ESG movement, which is falling apart. You know, alternative energy stocks are getting slaughtered. Solar stocks are down 50% on the year, about to go down another 50 or 100%. I mean, you know, the, the whole trajectory, I think the world is going back toward big boy energy um, consumption and big boy baseload power. And I think coal is absolutely going to have, you know, a, a say in that stable, in that more stable energy providing environment or, or sort of less risky energy providing environment mm. where you're not going to sit around and wait for, you know, the price of natural gas to come back, right? You're going to pivot and let's go to coal and let's go to other options that are cheaper and fossil fuels. So um, I, I, I can easily stay constructive on that sector. I've, I've kind of been a uh, a, 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 an uneducated bull in the background. Like we we covered the stocks really closely when I was at Dalman Rose years and years ago, and I mm -hmm. kind of lost touch with that. And because I lost touch with that, I kind of feel like I lost touch with the sector. But I can analyze it on the fly and and yeah, you know, keep an eye on it and know that that's kind of the backdrop of what's happening. Yeah, I think it might be good. I think it might be good uh, for us to to get sort of a you know a deeper dive on energy and a, and a bit of a roundtable and and catch up on all that because we're getting Great some really call. good questions here, right? I think that'd be, I think we'll, we'll, we'll try to get that rolled up people. Um, we did a poll. I didn't even talk about this, but on, on our YouTube, for our YouTube folks, we did a poll um, sort of asking the same question. We started at the top of the show. Will the USC recession? 75% of you said yes. Only 25% said no. Uh, which is interesting. And I think it's probably a reflection of how we feel. So I'm going to give a nod. I don't know when the next time Brent Donnelly's on with us. Um, Brent, Brent writes a great note uh, every day at Spectra. And he wrote some really, really interesting things about sentiment, just sort of pondering aloud whether we're you know, all suffering from a sort of uh, societal pessimism that we feel terrible. And there's definitely culture crisis going on, but that doesn't necessarily mean the actual weakness is there. I'm doing a terrible job paraphrasing it. It was really, really eloquently put. I'm going to, I'm going to see if he'll give me permission to share a little bit of it. And I'm definitely going to dive into that next time he's on, but that's, that's interesting. Like how you feel is, is that a reflection of what's really going on in the economy? I think that's been tripping some people up. Um, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, I agree, Maggie. I think that that's a, a very uh, a widespread thing because there are a lot of things going on in our country that make you feel bad, Yeah. right? That make you a little bit angry, right? Our culture is under attack in a number of different ways that we don't need to go into, but like you feel really horrible about that and you feel like that translates into economic weakness, people losing their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Then you get on a plane, you go to Las Vegas and you're like, oh my God, it's a 20 minute wait for an Uber at three o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon to go five miles, you know, you're like, this is crazy. I thought so. you were going to say three in the morning since you were in Vegas, but probably <laughs> I, didn't, I still didn't see three in the morning at my age, Maggie <laughs> got close, but didn't see three. I, I know it's so hard by the way. Uh, although not, well, it, th that's what they have some time on. I was going to say, um, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift managed to do it this weekend, but you know, they're youngsters. Um, by the way, uh, the very robust conversation happening about you two on the platform and Ralph is a big fan and says referring to you two as merely rock and roll is an insult. They are performance artists and Bono is a poet. Um, thank you, Ralph. I think that a lot of people might feel you on that. So now we know Ralph's a big U2 fan. 
You gotta be, you gotta be. U2 is a really weird band for me because they're the one band that I don't particularly love any individual in that band at all. And I absolutely love their music and I live for their concerts. Yeah, they give they give epic concerts. Yeah. Um, so, and it's funny, these, these concerts are getting bigger and more involved and um, because that's where the money is, right? So it's, it's uh, and people are willing to spend it as we saw from Beyonce and Taylor Swift, they're moving the economic needle too. Um, okay, wait, let's, let's rifle through a few of these. We only got a couple minutes. Let's see. Go. Um, AJ, what would make you bearish on equities? A big dislocation in the bond market, mm. right? A big dislocation lower in the bond market. Um, it's really hard to imagine what is going to do that from this level. Right. So we've been, you know, we've been selling you off say for lower, three. You mean lower price, higher yield. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like where the bond market is kind of falling apart and then it starts falling apart. Yeah. Right. Like, like something like a high volatility bond move lower. That's, that's about it. And I feel like that's kind of a low probability event. And I hope I'm not mispricing that risk, but right. you know, we just saw inflation tick higher last week. You know, that didn't really phase the bond market that much. It was still selling off, you know, like, um, um, you know, we've kind of been in this very controlled move lower. And that to me, like I said, as long as the economy doesn't just come apart under our noses, the stock market can bear that. But I would get bearish if there was like, you know, a consecutive dislocation, like a rate skip to higher levels on a headline, you know, that nobody was expecting. It's it's a little bit down to that, you know, I don't, because like like we've seen, the stock market's more resilient than people think. Yeah. You know, and and as long as we still have this sort of new religion in AI and a sort of a lot of pressure underpinning the natural resources markets with you know a changing geopolitical landscape, uh, man, I, I, and all the negative sentiment, that's a recipe for stocks to march higher. Yeah. Um, and and if you saw that big dislocation in bonds, you know that means things are breaking, right? So we have we have things to worry about if you start seeing that. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that that would spike volatility, like like that, along with the steepening of the curve, you know, mm-hmm. back towards uh, you know towards the zero boundary, you know, the VIX would spike alongside that, and the stock market would have to sort that out. That that may throw a scare into me, but I still would probably be looking to trade a spike lower from the long side under the conditions that I always do. So there you have it. Uh, last one is uranium. We have Doug and Trillionex both asking about uranium. Is this the next leg up in uranium stocks? How far can it go? You know, you gotta you gotta go with it. If it looks and feels and smells and sounds like an actual breakout on you know larger magnitude moves, it's it's checking all the boxes technically. It's holding where it should. We're getting good news out of the biggest producers and things like that. The price of uranium is going higher. You know, it's kind of all adding up to be another successful you know, fade the ESG movement, fade, um, fade the ESG movement trade mm. as, um, you know, as, as the supply continues to tighten, you know, we're, we're kind of right now, you know, like Cuppy, Cuppy's the leader in the sector, it's his trade and probably some other guys that have been a little bit ahead of him, but he, he kind of attacked it the right way. And we're in like an inventory vacuum now where the utilities, if they want to keep their utilities running on, you know, nuclear, they're going to have to go out and buy the uranium on the offer price. And that's generally what utilities do, right? Mm-hmm. They, they talk the game in all of their reports and say, we're trying to refrain, restrain from paying up for, you know, our uranium here. And then it comes to, okay, do you want to turn the reactor off? And they say, okay, please pay the offer for the uranium, right? That's, that's how it happens. So we, we kind of, we're going to have to drive slowly through this, but it feels like the, the weak side is still to the upside. And I don't think that that many people have piled into this sector, especially on the institutional side, 
that make it like overcrowded yet or anything like yeah. that. So that that's one thing that I still favor. All right. That's good stuff. Um, fantastic, Tony. Thanks so much. Love having you on. Love getting your thoughts. A lot yeah, of stuff that, going on in the market. So appreciate that, your insight. That was great. And we injected a little YouTube, like real life conversation into it, Maggie. Yeah, great we job. Got, got Absolutely. it all. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah, so soon we'll be spinning tunes. Um, Top class. <laughs> hey, everyone, uh, as you know, from the Festival of Learning, the Ledger Quest is still happening. Um, it's going to give you all the f fun way to get all the foundational knowledge that you're going to need about the next digital asset wave. Uh, you, It's open for 17 days, so it is still open. A hundred of you who pass the quest will win an, a custom RV branded ledger device. Uh, there's info on the screen how you can still do that. And all of the programming from the Festival of Learning is now on our platform. And there were really, really mind-blowing conversations. And it's not just for people into crypto and digital. Really interesting branding. This is just like people are looking into the future and um, trying to identify the next big unicorn or the company that's going to sort of kill this next move um, and be that sort of next big internet type company, but this time in digital assets. So really, really worth a listen. Um, and have fun with the quest. That's it from us today. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Take care and good luck out there. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by CraneShares. Learn about their KCCA ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KCCA forward slash Real Vision.